Have you ever wondered how a company is able to offer unlimited time off or be a pet-friendly office? Curious how HR leaders manage the well-being of remote or essential workforces? If so, you've come to the right place. Hi, I'm Andrea Heron, Head of People for WebMD Health Services, and I'd like to welcome you to the HR Scoop. On this podcast, I talk with other HR leaders to explore the world of unique employee benefits and about the challenges of managing unique workforces, because well-being isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. Welcome to another episode of the HR Scoop. Today, I'm especially excited to welcome writer, author, TEDx speaker, and marketing and PR specialist, Ashley Johnson. She also just happens to be my big sister. Welcome, Ashley. It's true. It's true. I'm so happy to be here with you on the HR Scoop. Yeah, some of you may be wondering why I would invite my sister to the HR Scoop. Very great question. So I wanted to bring you on the podcast, Ashley, to talk about mental health, specifically from the employee experience. I know you've had some personal experience with this, as you discussed in your TEDx talk. So I was hoping you might walk our audience through kind of your personal situation so they can hear that experience from you directly. All right. And I'll say if anyone has seen any of your presentations towards the beginning, you say something to the effect of, I didn't even know my own sister was struggling with mental health issues. And yeah, because I didn't want anybody to know. So if you didn't know, the people I worked with clearly thought I was a very highly functioning, go get them kind of employee, which I also was because you can be both at the same time. So the short version of about an 18 months long, I'm going to call it a, a battle. There's a lot going on. So I take medication to manage um, anxiety and depression. And during this time, my um, medication, I had to change it. Okay. So that's a huge deal in and of itself. So in the course of doing that, the first one didn't work. The second one didn't work. And between the side effects and not being settled yet, my mood, my behavior, my drive, my performance at work, all of it began to sink, to change drastically to the point where my boss started to notice. So somewhere along there, and it, it's been a minute, so somewhere along there, I kind of got one of those come to my office and shut the door moments with my manager, which I will say for all of you managers, that that is the scariest phrase ever. If you tell me to come into your office, sit down and shut the door, I'm already frozen and I'm not going to process anything that you say. Yeah, I learned that after we spoke and just after a few experiences of seeing that tear in people's eyes and really just giving some context makes a huge difference because our, our fight or flight goes into overdrive. I'm definitely getting fired. The HR person wants me to come in and shut the door. So great tip. Do not do that. <laughs> there are so many other words in uh, all the languages that you could add, even something like, hey, just for some privacy, would you like to shut the door? That way, if I want to, I can. Yeah. However, on that particular day, that was not offered. It was a shut the door. Um, and so what started there was kind of this long drawn out process of two things. And that would be kind of the, the department director trying to coach me out of the job, basically trying to make me quit, trying to make things at the office so miserable that I would leave on my own. And then at the same time, almost punishing me through a performance improvement plan, 
right? My performance was bad because my psychiatric medication wasn't working. Like no amount was going to fix that. (laughs) Right. And this is the disconnect between all of the shame around mental health and access to resources that are offered, but maybe not known about or accessed. And then actual performance issues, which absolutely should be addressed. So it is a fine line to walk and a tricky one. It is. So at some point in all of this, I started getting really stressed out. And thankfully, I had an HR expert in my life that I could call. Did you now? I did. And I said, <laughs> oh, my God, Andrea, I think I'm going to get fired. I, I don't know what's going on. You know, they're doing all this paperwork and I have to report every second of every move that I make. And can they fire me? I don't even know what's happening. And so that's when you and I really started having a conversation about mental health in the workplace, because I had to ask you what my rights were, what they could do or not do to me and to my job, because I had no clue. Yeah. As an HR professional, this was a really poignant moment for me to realize if I didn't know someone as close as my own sister was going through something this dramatic and and drastic. I certainly did not know what was going on with my own employees and how little, you know, effort was being put into helping and moving the conversation on mental health forward because it is so hidden. And yes, we've come a long way in the past two years of the pandemic. This was certainly pre-pandemic, but we're not there yet. And you, you have no idea, you know, maybe you know a little bit about what's going on, but you know, people are pretty private because they don't want their boss thinking there's something wrong with them or that they can't do the job or that they're inadequate in some way. And I'm not saying they are, but, you know, people don't want to give off that impression that something is wrong. Right. And one of the things that you told me toward the beginning, which got this bowl in my head rolling was, well, would some kind of accommodation help you? And I was yeah. like, I don't, I don't even know what that means. Like, <laughs> I'm a healthcare professional. I've got like two degrees and a master's in you know, communication. I've never heard of accommodations. That's only for, you know, if I am in a wheelchair and I need an elevator or if I need an interpreter, like those to me are accommodations. I never considered that mental health conditions could warrant any type of accommodation. And so that's what I would say to your peers in HR Tell, tell your managers, tell your staff during your open enrollment periods, you know, really make it known and see it gets dicey. People don't want to talk about reasonable accommodations, but you can do it in a way that doesn't feel threatening. Um, We talk about a happy light. So that's just a little light you have at your desk in the winter kind of wards off that seasonal depression. That's a reasonable accommodation. And that's not really anything scary, I don't think. To right, you don't have to put a skylight in. You know, I mean, there are accommodations and there are reasonable accommodations. Right. And even noise-canceling headphones as people go back into the office and they need quiet space. I mean, there are lots of ways that we can support people that get them to perform in the way that is good for the business. But I, I think reasonable accommodations have gotten confused with big dollars and big inconvenience along the way. And it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, the goal of it is to find a solution that works for both parties, that helps the employee do the job they were hired to do in a way that is good for the business. And that just doesn't really translate or traditionally most places hasn't to the average employee knowing even what that means or what they can do so they can do the job they want 
to do because my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. <laughs> you wanted to do your job. I did. But uh, I mean, so I would come into work and I would sit in my office because I do computer work, right? communications work, all this stuff. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't focus. I couldn't meet my deadlines. I really wanted to. I kept showing up at work every day, but that's all I had the energy to do was to physically get to work, but I couldn't really work. So we call that presenteeism. That's maybe a discussion for another time. So I was there, but I wasn't working to my full potential. And I knew that. And yet I didn't know what to do about that. And you didn't feel like you could talk to your manager or you could? Because I think that's our net, you know, as HR people, we're like, we'll talk to your manager. You know, some people feel comfortable with that. Some people don't. And so then maybe they talk to HR, but there has to be some communication because otherwise it does just seem like a performance issue. If all of a sudden you just stop performing and doing the work and we don't know anything about why there's been no requests, there's been no comment, no conversation, then we would treat it like a performance issue because that's all we have to go on. Right. So the the beginning of kind of my downward slope, and I can't believe you've got me talking about this to like the whole country. <laughs> Good Lord. Hello, let me tell you about how I failed in my job. <laughs> it's a safe space. It's just us. It Nobody is. else. Nobody it else. Is. But I mean, that's where stigma comes into it. You know, I don't want to go to my manager and be like, well, first of all, I didn't even know what I would say. I didn't know what I needed. I just knew that I couldn't function normally. and so. If I had a better awareness of, you know, I could have taken some time off. I could have been encouraged to use some vacation days or sick days, whatever the, you know, your company calls them, your paid time off. Um, There are a lot of things I know now that would have prevented kind of a bad spiral toward the end. Uh, But at the beginning, I stayed quiet because I just didn't know what to do. So the first time I got called in to the manager's office and told to shut the door, It was because I had clearly ignored um, a pretty big PR request. I mean, it was definitely in my court. I should have taken care of it. I didn't. Why? Because I just couldn't. I couldn't return that phone call. I couldn't do the research to come up with the answers. And so I just didn't. And at that point, that does look like a performance issue. And that's where it is kind of hard. Again, this is my perspective. You got to look at your employee and say, does this seem really out of character? Like you've been here five years, nothing even close to this has happened before. What's up? That's an excellent point because it goes back to the whole reason that we do one-on-ones, that we understand where people baseline are, how they usually perform, looking at past history. And especially right now when there's so much turnover and the great resignation and whatever you want to call it, it's in everyone's best interest to look at things that might be out of character or off that baseline to say, is there something more going on here that I can talk to them about that is maybe performance-based or built in the relationship we have? not to go down rumors and accusations mm-hmm. or anything personal health health information related, but, you know, to check in from manager to employee to say, hey, something's off here and I'm noticing, can I help? You know, is there a benefit you need? Do you need something off? But really be more open and direct about something is different. And I'd like to talk to you about what it is so we can get back to where you were before. Right. And something that I learned from you and the work that we've done together is, 
um, observable behaviors, right? So if my manager said, I have noticed that you've been locked in your office with the door shut for about two weeks, that's kind of weird. You've never done that. Can I help you with something? Do you need something? You know, is somebody being too loud? Because we actually had that issue on our floor one time. There was a person who was a really loud talker. It happens, right? So you shut the door until they stop talking, but not for two straight weeks, right? So you look at, has the behavior changed? Is it out of character? And is it prolonged? Because we all have a bad day. Sure. It is a great point. This is more than a bad day or even a bad week. I mean, everybody can have an off week, but if it is a persistent, consistent change in behavior, like someone who was regularly on camera, if you're remote and video, and all of a sudden is not on camera for a lengthy period, there may be something going on. Maybe not, but we're checking in. Um, there's no shame in the sweatpants game, as I like to say, but That's right. you know, if someone's unprofessional, <laughs> even for an internal meeting or just really disheveled, and that's out of character, off their personal brand, you know, you may want to check in. Things like that, that may tell you that someone is just having a hard time and it's probably in your best interest as their manager to see is there a barrier, a blockage, a resource they need, you know, something to get them or at least help them get back to the performance that they usually have. And I'm going to throw a really unusual word out here, reassurance. So Mm. in hindsight and retrospective, because things are way clearer when you're five years removed from them. If at some point my manager would have said, you know what, why don't you use your time off and just regroup? We've got this. The team can cover. We can handle this for a little bit while you do whatever you need to do, because that was one of the main reasons I didn't take vacation time. And I kept showing up to work, even though it wasn't really working that hard. Uh, because the team needed me, right? And I'm a team player. (laughs) And so that actually was one of the most, I don't even know that this is relevant. That was one of the most hurtful things that was said to me during this whole time was, you know what, you're not a team player and you're making this whole team suffer because you are failing. Please don't say that kind of stuff to your employee. (laughs) Or maybe I'm just being sensitive. I don't know. No, I think it's a valid point. And another reason that, you know, we need to really focus on how to train managers, what they can and can't say or should or shouldn't say, or when to just reach out to HR for coaching and guidance. Because when you become a people manager, you don't get a a class in how to, generally speaking, manage people's health, mental health. I'm not saying from a personal health information perspective, but just the the natural culture, the dynamics, the communication, how to support them. Right. You're not Um, their therapist and nobody expects you to be. No. But there are certain ways you should approach things with a certain attitude, not to slide into toxic positivity where that's the only positives <laughs> allowed, but, you know, allowing people to be people and supporting them so they, again, can perform the job they were hired to do with creativity, collaboration, and teamwork. We call them invisible elephants. And so that is an employee who has, um, we'll call it a pre-existing mental health condition, something uh There's so many people in the workforce right now that have anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder. Um, Some have serious eating disorders, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, and a lot of PTSD trauma, right? So all of those people are already in your workplace and they try really hard to hide all of that stuff from other people for lots of reasons. One, privacy. You know, people don't need to know your whole business. 
to stigma because, well, there might be repercussions or people might think less of you. And so we spend all of our time, basically it's like cubicle camouflage, right? Like we're blending into the office environment so that no one thinks we're any different than anybody else, which is fine until you need help and you won't ask for it because that would blow your cover. Yeah. And also imagine if you could help someone take that energy they use to hide and blend in and help them use it towards their job and getting the outcomes you hired them for. I mean, that's a way better use of time and energy, but that won't happen automatically because there is still you know, stigma around mental health. Although I do believe that is shifting ever so slowly. Um, it's still there. It was so interesting. COVID kind of gave us a universal trauma. And I think it gave a lot of people time to reflect on many things. And that's part of the great resignation. People have reevaluated what's important in their lives and made some changes. And so that's the one thing I'll say that's good about COVID is it gave everybody this moment to pause and go, oh, you know, maybe we should work on the health of our work environment because you spend so much time there. You spend a lot more time with those people than you do even your own spouse or your kids or your pets. Yeah, it was a past due reckoning that really was forced, but I think moved us forward a lot. I mean, realizing that people are just people and they're people when they come to their computer or their work site and they're people when they leave. So now that you are just kind of a little bit removed from the situation, which obviously maybe we should just close that loop. Were you able to resolve it? Don't you? Let's not leave the folks hanging. <laughs> That's part two. Stay yeah. tuned next time. And we'll tell you. So eventually I quit my job because it, it just, it became too much. Um, and then they actually brought me back in a part-time capacity. And I worked with that company for another oh, two or three years in a part-time capacity. And then uh, just this last summer, I kind of left that organization completely and, and started over in the same field, but totally different kind of company. So that was a very long odd, interesting chapter of my life, but it generated a lot of good things because I wouldn't, wouldn't have, I'm going to say the word courage, which it feels really weird. But when you stand up in front of people and you talk about the most vulnerable moments of your life and your failures and, you know, here, I like to think that I'm smart and capable, but at this point in my life, I wasn't, that's really hard. And so that has been probably one of the biggest areas of personal growth that I've had in a long time, which kind of sucks, but was also good. <laughs> yeah. And to your credit, you, you did take a difficult situation and use it to help other people through your TEDx talks and, you know, everything you've done since. So, you know, from your perspective, from this whole journey, everything you've learned for our audience, you know, are there any big or small things that you you would recommend or you would think would be super helpful for even just your average, you know, HR partner or any, you know, person in a position to provide that kind of support to help employees kind of struggling with their mental health? Uh, so one of the first things that I would say is companies, and this is according to several different research studies, one of which I believe came through uh, WebMD Health Services, that corporations, businesses are looking to devote more of their budget dollars 
toward mental and emotional health in the workplace. Yay, that's perfect. Use some of those dollars to train your managers. So even the most basic, you know, here's some words you could use. Here's how you could lead with compassion. Or let's just all take a minute and remember what benefits we offer our employees. And so if an employee comes to you, we've got a little card or pull up the website with them, right? Somehow let those managers really feel comfortable sharing resources. Yeah. And also make them easily accessible. I mean, that's the other thing. When someone is in a, a crisis or a manager's in the moment of needing to provide support, the last thing anyone wants to do is go 12 page out pages down your internet and try to find a phone number or a website link, you know, and I think that's part of the reason why EAP services or, you know, any of the benefits offered just aren't as utilized because they're not easy. And if nothing else, we all expect things to be touch of a button and easy now because, well, they really are in a yeah. lot of places. There's literally an easy button that you can buy. It doesn't do anything, but you can push it all you want to. <laughs> So what about for what about for those employees who are having a hard time? You know, from your experience at things you've learned, do you have any kind of pieces of wisdom you would like to give any individuals out there having a, a rough go? So what has been really an interesting outcome of this, gosh, I, we'll call it a situation, this whole part of my life. Again, it's given me confidence to do things like the TEDx talk and we published our book and, you know, really get out there and talk about mental health. And so people will feel comfortable coming to me and saying, hey, I kind of have some of these same issues and you talked about this and that. Could you connect me with a resource or what do you know about reasonable accommodations? You know, you mentioned those. I've never heard of it. And so it's like I made space for it to be OK to talk about. So what I would want for other employees is to know that you're definitely not alone. One in five, this was pre-pandemic, uh, NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, they told us that one in five U.S. adults has a mental illness in any given year. Post-pandemic, those numbers are even higher. And we don't have, you know, all the counts in from 2021. So we don't know exactly how high. But there's somebody in your office or your circle of friends that also has some kind of condition. And so if you, it's like we need a little secret invisible elephant handshake or something, right? <laughs> like, hey, I got you. <laughs> I know what you're going through. But to find those spaces where you can talk about things, share resources, um, and I hate to say safe spaces like 15 times, but some kind of a, a setting where you can have those conversations. So kind of just knowing you're not alone. You know, what I find so interesting is this whole shift from the employer kind of taking over and becoming a point for a lot of these conversations that used to be held in religious communities, in your neighborhood, in your support groups, or your however you, you know, had your outlets of the people you talk to. We talk social justice. We talk about mental health, well-being, um, diet, exercise, fitness. I mean, we've even talked about food insecurity childcare over the pandemic. I mean, it's just a fascinating kind of hard left from what the employer <laughs> agreement was, you know, just a few decades ago where you come to work, you do a job, I pay you and you go home and then you do all of those things. Right. Now there's employee resource groups for all sorts of things. You know, there's volunteer activities, there's events, there's culture building, there's just an endless array. And 
it's just really interesting. And I don't think that's going anywhere. And so the more an employer, and guess what? Everyone who has any influence over benefits, management relationships, training, development, resources, you know, you can play a part here. Even if you're not the CEO or the head of anything, you know, bringing ideas of how to just create connections is going to benefit your company because it's almost an expectation going forward that employers have a role in this. It's not just a nice to have anymore. And I'm going to open the can of diversity and inclusion real quick to say that as HR managers and people who are in charge of selecting, like who participates in your benefit programs, who is like, what's the behavioral health group in town that is on your insurance plan that people can go see, right? Those decisions are extremely important because you need to have providers that look like your people. Because not everybody wants a middle-aged white woman for a therapist. And yet that's pretty much the bulk of the workforce in that field right now. So if you can find, oh my gosh, Spanish-speaking therapists or you know behavioral health specialists, there's a whole list of, of titles in the behavioral health realm. So whatever you're hiring for, uh, look for people with some diversity of language, of background. Of, I mean... <laughs> It's a whole other conversation, but your background and your beliefs and your faith and your ethnicity, they all really color how you experience mental health and mental ill health and what works for you as far as addressing those issues and not addressing those issues. But one thing everybody can do is to try and at least include some of those diverse providers on your list so that your employees can find someone that looks kind of like them <laughs> to go see because that oh it just makes such a huge difference. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's really excellent to keep in mind as you know, you look at your providers. One thing I just want to kind of bring back around because I think sometimes what gets lost in this conversation is why, again, I think we started here, but why does it matter? Why should employers, managers care? about their employees' mental health. Isn't that a personal problem? Isn't that a personal thing someone needs to deal with? Um, I'm not saying that, but that's what people think, right? Are you calling me out on your own show? What are you doing? No, no. I'm just saying, like, I think that's the thread that gets lost sometimes because we're like, well, yeah, but then someone needs to take care of their own personal health. If I broke my arm, I take myself to the doctor. Yeah, but then if you have a job that requires you to use that arm, we're going to try and find a workaround or some way for you to contribute while it heals. And when there's a mental issue or a mental health concern, it's not visible. And it makes it so much harder for us to kind of grasp why something matters and why we need to care as an employer. So do you have any thoughts about that and why why it matters and if it would have made a difference to you? So I'm going to take it back to kind of that team player element. The company hired me to do this job. I was very qualified for the job. I was very good at the job. I wanted to give back to that organization and be amazing. So if you have that support during kind of a rough patch, you've lost maybe a week of an employee, you know, hitting on all cylinders. And what you've gotten in return is 18 months of mediocre work and a whole lot of stress and visits to HR, which doesn't help your business. 
right? So if you show people, one, that you care about them, you want them to be okay, they're going to be more loyal to that company. They're going to stick with that job. So if we're talking about like recruitment and retention, you're going to keep the good people that you hired if you lead with some empathy and some compassion and you accept that, you know, maybe sometimes somebody needs to take a whole week or two weeks to get themselves together. If they had surgery, would you not let them do that? If a loved one died, would they not take bereavement time? So this is kind of back to equity. And so we're just trying to get mental health on the same plane as physical health and realize that if your employee is broken, it doesn't matter if you can see that injury or not. They need some time to recoup and they need to use the benefits that your you know, organization provides. And that's a national issue that they're working on is uh, physical and mental health equity so that you can get the same benefits for physical as mental health. Um, so that's why it matters. If you hire good people and you want to keep them, if you would help them through like a period of grieving or through a surgery recovery, then you should be helping them through a period of mental ill health as well. I absolutely agree. And I have seen this time and time again, when managers and leadership lead with empathy and care and put the human first and not that you forget about the work, but you make an exception, you figure it out, you get a short-term solution to really help that person feel supported. They are so much more loyal and they give back so much more than you ever lost in that very short window. So I completely agree with that. Not every manager is going to naturally do that, which is why the training and continued tools and resources, they matter and they will make a difference. Um, but I have seen that happen with such good outcomes every, like so many times. Yeah. And once somebody starts talking about how I had this issue and my workplace really supported me and I even had to, you know, go away for a couple of weeks and get myself back together. And when I got back, they were like, great, you're back. Let's go. We're, we're happy you're here. And there was no follow-up stigma, right? <laughs> there weren't people going behind you. Well, she leaving again. What's wrong with her? Is she going to leave? She just gets to take time off anytime she wants to. You know, there wasn't that because the manager set the tone. Well, and then you're talking about not only retention and loyalty of that one employee, but the team sees how that person was treated and feels safer that they would be treated the same way, which may lead to more referrals, which may lead to a better review out on one of the review sites that we all love and adore so much. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's just a lot of ripple effects of positivity that can come out of treating people like the humans they are versus uh, something that they didn't produce for a week or two because they were having a hard time. Right. And when you do a comparison to physical health, people, the, the light bulb kind of comes on in their head and they're like, oh, well, if you had surgery and the doctor said you need six to eight weeks of recovery, I wouldn't question that. And then if you come back and it says you need to be on light duty for two more weeks after that, I'd just be like, fine, we're going to put you at the desk and you're going to do this. But again, it's that stigma. There's fear. Well, first of all, there's fear for the people who live with those conditions because sometimes we can't explain what we're feeling and why. I didn't know my medication changing was what was messing me up so bad for probably six weeks. I just knew that I didn't feel right and I could not get it together. And that's not a lack of effort. 
That's not a lack of desire. That was a lack of chemicals in my brain, not allowing it to work. (laughs) And no amount of performance improvement plan was going to fix that. And so that's, again, I go back to if I had been encouraged to take some time to get it together, that sounds horrible. If I had been encouraged to take some of my paid time off. <laughs> That's HR talk. Yeah, HR talk. I, <laughs> I think that I could have avoided a lot of the kind of yuckier outcomes that came from it because clearly it was not going to get better. It just got worse. So it's kind of like you have this window at the beginning of an episode to help people do whatever it is that works for them. And if you miss that window, it just gets harder and harder and harder to get them back to that, um, I guess we'll call it a performance level. I think that's a great reframe. That's a great reframe. And I just want, just a little cold to say, HR people listening, we deal with a lot. And we're also the receivers of a lot of these very difficult conversations. And so don't forget about your own mental well-being in your own self-care, which doesn't have to mean you buy something or you get a bubble bath. I mean, you can, you do you, but it can do, it can mean a lot of things and you have to find what makes you feel better. But we really need to make sure that we are also taking care of ourselves because we absorb a lot of this energy and a lot of these difficult conversations. And then we just move on to the next thing. And you may not realize that you're still holding that. Um, So just please take some time to really Feel your feelings. Yeah, feel the feelings. Maybe in your car, maybe in the shower, I mean, whatever. But, you know, just take some time for yourself. You've got to process all of those things that are happening to you. And just like every other person does. um, Right. That's why I am not in like a mental health professional field. I couldn't leave all of that at the office. I would just carry everyone's emotional burden with me. And then that would be detrimental to my own health. So it's like, okay, boundary. (laughs) That's not the kind of work that I can do. Yeah, boundaries, another time, another long conversation. Okay. (laughs) So for the final question, as we ask all of our guests here on the HR Scoop, would you please tell our audience, I mean, I know you've shared a lot of personal things, but what's something else that most people don't know about you? Aside from your great sister. I was going to say, there's not really anything I could talk about that (laughs) is going to be a surprise to you because you were there for a lot of it. Um, I'll tell you one of the cooler things I got to do um, in college. I did a study abroad in Japan with, you know, a group of my fellow students. And it was the most interesting kind of life changing travel that I have ever done because it took everything I knew and thought about how the world worked and flipped it on its head. And that talk about culture shock. You know, I was 20. So that was just Yeah, a lot of that still sticks with me. So that trip to Japan, not a lot of people know because why why are you going to bring that up in everyday conversation? (laughs) Well, you didn't take me, so it's still on my list, but I am glad you got to go. Yes. So thank you again. We're a little too young at that point to go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very young. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for joining us. And it's been a great episode. We'll see y'all next time. Thank you for listening to the HR Scoop podcast. Please take a moment to rate and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or directly at webmdhealthservices.com slash podcasts.